We are so lucky to have this conversation with Marissa Renee Lee today. Her book comes out on April 12th. You're going to want to go get it. I just finished reading it. It's called Grief is Love, and it is gorgeous. It is just filled with so many things that we talk about on the podcast, written in her own beautiful way. It's just a gorgeous book. I'm going to put it up on my website as a resource for everyone. This conversation is really important given the New York Times article that came out that's been exploding on my Instagram and sort of everywhere that highlights the fact that folks have put a timeline around the notion of grieving, that there's a new diagnosis in the DSM-5, which is talking about prolonged grief and calling it a disorder, which is killing most of us who do this work. And this conversation is just going to remind you that experts, people who have made this work their passion and their life, are telling you otherwise, that it is not a disorder to be grieving in any kind of fashion and that the expectation that we should have integrated it or learned how to do it or not have symptoms or that it's a problem if we're still doing it a year after the event took place is completely insane. So I hope you love this conversation as much as I did. Please go follow Marissa's work on Instagram. Uh, Her stuff is in the show notes. She really is such an important voice for all of us and an important voice for marginalized communities who have had really significant impact with death and loss in the time of COVID. If you're liking the podcast, please go over to the Apple and, you know, like and put a comment in there so that we can continue to get the podcast in front of other ears who need to hear our conversations. Thanks so much. Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle. This is your host, Megan Reardon Jarvis, and I am really delighted to be getting the very busy minutes of Marissa Renee Lee. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. This is so wonderful. Yes. So we have already been chatting and and sort of all sharing all the people that we know in the grief and loss world off mic. I want to read for those of you, the two people who don't already know who <laughs> she is. I want to read you her bio so that you can come to know a little bit about the descriptive work. And then she's going to talk to us about her world of writing and grief and loss and new momdom. So Marissa Renee Lee is an expert in coping with grief. In 2008, she lost her mother to cancer after a courageous battle. This loss transformed her life and led her to question what grief really is and what healing truly requires. She's now a rabble rouser of social healing, a former appointee of the Obama White House, managing director of My Brother's Keeper Alliance, co-founder of the digital platform Supportal, and founder of The Pink Agenda, a national organization dedicated to raising money for breast cancer care, research and awareness, and is a regular contributor to all the things you read and all the things you watch, Glamour Vogue, MSNBC, CNN, and she's a smarty pants who went to Harvard. Thank you so much. I reached out to your folks because I, and you have a lovely team of people who respond on your behalf because I am so excited to read your book, which is coming out on April 12th. So uh, I've been, you know, eagerly watching and cover reveals and all those things to 
hear your story that I know that you've been cultivating for a while and really overwhelmed by the exciting news in your family <laughs> that has happened. You've, you have added, you're a mom now. Just take us into where you want to start about how you have come to prioritize talking about grief and loss. Got it. Okay. So first of all, again, thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. I, it seems weird to a lot of people, but I love having these kinds of conversations. And I am always happy to share my story. And I think it is increasingly important that we talk about grief. You know, two Absolutely. weeks ago, this country surpassed 900,000 COVID deaths. We're not even at the official two-year anniversary of when the world shut down. And nearly a million people have died. Like so many people are grieving right now. So I think the work right. that you do is really important and I'm happy to do whatever I can to support it. Oh, On my end, of course, of course. On my end, you know, I came to this place of needing to talk about grief and loss after my husband and I experienced a pregnancy loss in 2019. Mm -hmm. And through the processing of that loss, I realized I was still grieving the loss of my mother who died in 2008. You know, when my mom died, I was barely 25 years old. I thought I was an adult and I felt like I had done everything to quote, prepare for her death. You know, I read Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. I had a plan for the funeral. I had a plan for what we were going to do with all of her stuff after she died. I knew she wanted to die at home. You know, I, I had an Excel spreadsheet that would make an outside person think I was trying to essentially be the CEO of my mother's <laughs> end of life process. Yeah. And what I realized on that fateful day in February when she actually did pass away is that I hadn't accurately prepared for anything. I had no idea what grief was. I had no, I had no concept for how just overwhelming and disorienting and deeply painful it was going to be. And I frankly felt like I was being too sensitive or maybe immature because I had all of these feelings about my dead mom. Yeah. So I tried to hide them. You know, like I kept I kept doing my thing. I was running a breast cancer nonprofit in New York. I was working on Wall Street. I was dating lots of guys. You know, I, I just tried to keep moving my life forward because I felt like that's what I needed to do to make my mom proud. But in the midst of that, I wasn't really taking time out to process all of this pain. So, you know, plowed through my feelings, ended up down here in Washington, D.C. a few years later got a job in the Obama administration. You know, I'm working in the White House. I think I have got life completely figured out, totally under control. I'm doing great. Meet a guy, get married. I already knew going into our relationship that I couldn't have kids on my own. So we went through a lengthy, expensive, complicated process to get me pregnant. Yeah. And then I wasn't. And when that loss happened, I felt rocked. Like I didn't know what to do with myself. I had always seen myself as a mother. And suddenly we were in this place where, you know, this plan that we had committed to and all of this money that we had spent and all of these things that I had done to my body, you know, I literally had 
an acupuncturist electrocute my uterus before our embryo transfer, because that was something that was supposed to help. You know, it was all, it was all gone and I didn't know what to do. And in those moments, all I wanted was this woman who'd been dead for over a decade. And so I came to realize that I wasn't over it. I hadn't figured out much of anything. And I was still really sad that I didn't have have my mom. And our loss occurred, you know, a few months before the entire world shut down because of a global pandemic. So suddenly I'm sitting in this place of, you know, deep personal grief and isolation while the world is grieving. And, you know, we're just all surrounded by death and disease. And at that point, I was forced to really sit with all of my feelings and process them. And I realized not only do we not get over it, but we're not supposed to get over it when we lose these people who are really important to us. You know, they were a critical part of our lives. And so, you know, what does getting over it really mean? And when I stopped getting, trying to get over these things is when I started to feel better and realized Mm. I wanted to share some of what I learned with other people. It makes me super mental. I mean, first of all, thank you that, that I have a lot of chills and just a lot of things that resonate. I've written a bunch about pregnancy loss and, and again, the thing that where you feel like you're the only person and then you start to talk about it out loud and it's like, wait a minute, every, everybody. Yes. And so it, there's this element of like, it is extraordinary to lose your mom at 25, but not that extraordinary. And so the idea that we've had, you know, I use this analogy all the time, but I think it's the best when my son, when my son and daughter, not my youngest yet, you know, turned 11, they went to their little school and the school was like, you're going to learn about the human body now, because soon you're going to go through puberty. And the reason that they do that is so that children aren't freaking terrified by the changes in their body. And they have some core education, like actually understand what are your body parts? What are they doing? Why are they doing And I, as a trauma therapist, death is one kind of a trauma. There's a bunch of others, but bodies are bodies. Yes. And bodies respond to traumas with a series of physical things and a series of ideas. And the ones that I had, I did not invent other people had had them. And yet there is this weird, particularly in this country. And I don't think it's going to hold because you take that 1 million people that have died, multiply them by nine, because that's the estimated number of griever per person that's died. That's how many people are out there grieving right now, feeling like they have to invent the wheel. It's not possible. We're going to have like a nation of alcoholics and drug addicts because they're not going to be able to do it. And so to me, Every time, you know, someone graciously says, this was my experience, what I hear is, and that's another moment where we missed the opportunity to say, this is what it feels like for lots of people. This is, you're a hundred percent normal, hundred percent normal and, and compound loss. So if you've had a loss before, you know, our mind, our brain stores information in like file folders. So if you've been on a roller coaster before and you're about to go on a roller coaster, your body and mind believe they know what this is going to be like based on how they did it before. If that last one was really bad, (laughs) that may impact this roller coaster ride. And compound loss is like that. Compound loss is whatever is lingering 
from the file folder before. We're going to put those two together and they're going to stick to each other. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, <laughs> right? And then, but the beauty of that and the hope in that, which I always say to folks is the gorgeousness of this is you can pick any file out of the folder and do the feelings around that. And it also, because yes. that's how, yes. I mean, that's just how our brain codes memory. So that's a, that's a helpful thing. If you can't hit, if it's too hot to touch my current pregnancy loss, we can talk about your mom yeah. and that's actually going to help you with the grief. And, and it, it absolutely, absolutely did. And the other thing that I will say is, so my book, I, I want my book more than anything else to be something that helps someone else, you know, like that, that was my goal in writing. You know, I had a bulletin board in my office with all of these different, like, scenes and themes and ideas and questions and things that I wanted to get out in the book. And in the middle was one card that just said, you know, remember who you write for. And it's not, it's not for me. It's not about me. And so my book is actually not a memoir, but it's technically classified as narrative nonfiction because I essentially go through, these are the things that I think you need in order to live with loss. And then because I wanted it to not be about me and to be as helpful as possible. I partnered with a bereavement researcher and professor at Harvard to bring in the leading research and data around death and grief and trauma and racism. Because like you say, like so much of what I experienced with both of those losses is ordinary. And while it may have been overwhelming and deeply personal for me, there wasn't much about any of it that was actually unique or different from what happens to most people because, you know, our human bodies and our human brains tend to react in like certain already set ways when these things take place. Absolutely. And yet what I said when my dad died is like, it was the most real I had ever felt in my life ever. So even though it's like a ordinary thing, it's the most extremely novel thing because I really didn't have, even though I'd had other deaths in my life, I think my legacy of becoming a trauma therapist is on account of an early childhood death in, in, you know, this early eighties that was sort of handled in the early eighties way, which is like, don't talk to kids about that. That's and so I think that probably drove the like, oh, I need to, you know, I need to talk about this. But I do also know that the experience of it much like puberty feels like you are the only person that has ever had any of these feelings. And so the, the danger is it pulls you into yourself in this. Yes. Right. Yes. And it makes you feel like, well, gosh, if I'm feeling all of this and, and again, you know, it'll be 14 years in a couple of weeks since my mom died. So like 14 years ago, the way that we approached things and the way that we thought about things like feelings and vulnerability and, and, you know, just being, honest about your challenges was very different. And so I was convinced there was something wrong with me. Yeah, Like, you know, it had been weeks and then months and then a full year. And I was still really sad and really having a hard time. And because I thought that there was something wrong with me, I didn't tell anybody. Yeah, that's right. Well, and also that's, we're a little bit set up that way culturally, because people would be more comfortable with you just like coming back to work, go to therapy, feel mostly okay. Have a few tears, be a little sad, you know, check the box. I was back at work two weeks after my mom mom died. Yeah. 
And yet then when you talk to people, they're like, no, that's not the way it works. Like I, you know, like, I love what you said and I appreciate it. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited for your book because it really does sound like unique in the field, but I love what you said about, you know, and when I had this loss, I wanted my mom because yeah. that is true of grieving, right? Which is like, you feel this way. I, I'm just talking to somebody. I don't know what's going on with me because my dad and I were not very close, but I keep thinking about him. It's not an anniversary. Mm. There's no reason. Yeah. I like miss him a little bit. And I wish she was around and I found myself lingering over pictures of him. And I'm like, okay, well that, you know, my dad's been dead almost five years. That's what grief feels like with my dad today. The number of times I have said, I cannot believe I can't call my mom and tell her that this is what's happening. I, know, I cannot believe I know, I know. partly it's because she would have loved it. And I just want yes. to, to live and experience that. And also because she magnified the way I experienced my own life. Of course and, she was right? your mother. Yeah. Right. And well, and again, you know, that's the way I feel about it. Even though she and I had lots of tension when I was in my twenties and trying to, <laughs> my, my early days of DC. I mean, if she were here, she would say, you spent a year hanging up on me, which I did. <laughs> we didn't, which is you know, totally I, normal. I, yeah, like it is. Relationship. That's a hundred percent. Right. And And the way in which, you know, I need her at this age is going to be different than the way that I need her in 10 years, but the carrying the grief over time, I think what happens is, is people are like, oh, well, your mom died three years ago. And so they don't ask and you don't say, and people are not able in that sort of passive way to learn what it looks like to carry grief. Yes. But when right. you are given an opportunity to talk about it, that then also gives other people an opportunity to support you in a different way. You know, one of my best friends lives down in North Carolina and she texted the other day and said, you know, I was thinking about coming in March to see the baby, but I realized the 28th is coming up and I'm yeah. wondering if you want company or if you'd rather stay in bed all day by yourself and watch This Is Us. <laughs> Which like, you know, if I, if I didn't talk about it, you know, if I didn't let people know that February is always a bit challenging for me with my mom's birthday and death day, she wouldn't know to reach out and like offer something like that. Um, So I think you make your relationships with other people deeper and more meaningful when you talk about these losses and, you know, challenging and traumatic things that have happened to you. Yeah. And you know what I think about a lot? I think like First of all, we've known for a really long time that Elizabeth Kugler-Ross's very well-intended stages of grief are just totally inaccurate. But nobody talks about that. You and I know that. It's worse than that, is that, you know, TV shows get made where they talk about it as if it's a thing. People say they're writing another book about another stage. Like, you and I know it, everyone could know it. Drives me crazy. Right. And there's lots of modern grief theory, which again, you know, I'm not saying this to bash the scientists that are doing all that stuff. Cause I love me some science in yes. terms of, in terms of like actually helping grievers. I don't know that it helps grievers. I think what helps yeah. grievers is more the anecdotal of like, I see you, I get it. Yes. I, you know, I went through these things. Yes. I went through these things. These are the things that are helpful, that were helpful to me. What I, what I think is fascinating is like, you know, not so very many years ago, the concept of a transgendered person was like beyond what many people could even conceive 100%, 100%. of. 
soon we have states with bathrooms legislation and the and the understanding the argument that works the best that we need to be able to talk about this we need to be able to understand it we need to be moving this forward is this population of teenagers kills themselves higher than any other population yeah. and everybody it doesn't even matter what their politics or their religion yeah. is like we can all agree that's not good yeah that's not okay and so then suddenly <clears throat> We shift the culture really yeah. fast in my yeah. mind, right? As a 47 year old woman, we were able in this country to take something that felt like, oh my God, don't talk about that. It's too yeah. awkward and we don't understand it to like, it, we don't, not everybody still knows any of it, but we're going to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And people trying to, yes, yes, yes. And yes. I just sort literally of it's like, over the last like 10 years, the last 10 years. And I feel so hopeful for the world Same. of grief and loss, because I feel like, okay, That's all right, point. This, is, this is where we're at right now. You know, I have 40 people on my wait list, 40 people, and I am a specialist. I'm not just like a grief and loss no, person. You're I the person people go to when it's really, really when it, I'm, I'm When it's dark and I got 40 people on my wait list and Gosh. I only see 20 people at a time. So that gives you an idea. And everyone I know is like, I'm sorry. I mean, I, my own daughter, when she, she has some OCD stuff that developed, like it took me I, almost eight months to find her a practitioner in a major city. And you know how to navigate and these I, systems I mean, being a practitioner. Favors. Yeah. <laughs> Lord. My point is that if we do not indoctrinate the entire, what I think of it as like in church, in church, there's one person who's been ordained. That's the priest. That priest yes. is allowed to put their hands in the cup and hand out the yes. sacred things. And this, you know, the, <clears throat> but also when the, when the service is really big, we we're like, Carl, Martha, come on up. They're the yeah. leaders and they, yeah. help. they help. They're not experts. They're not ordained. They don't have the pretty clothes. Yeah. But they are also going to make sure that everybody receives the blessing of the Eucharist. Yeah. And in my mind, everything that I do all the time is like, what is the largest group of people I can speak? Yes. To? Yeah. Because I'm just trying to be efficient yes. about the 10 in my, you know, what I talk about is sort of the, the traumatic elements of what happened to the body, your memory, you're not able to eat where your sex yes, drive goes, all yes. the stuff that makes people feel super crazy. And in fact, is just a thing that your amygdala does yeah. to your body. Yes. I talk a lot about that, but my, what I'm really trying to do is say, everybody has to hold this. We're all going to have to be responsible. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that. Right? Yeah. My thing, when I think about my work, it's combination of impact and equity in terms of like who's able to access it because you know we know of the 900,000 plus Americans who've died in the last two years they're predominantly poor black and brown that's right so like that's kind of how I think about it. you know like how can I get in front of as many people and how can I specifically get in front of as many people who are most likely to be impacted right now by grief. So yeah, I, I love that. I love that metaphor. Well, and also your work is so critical because not only is that who's dying, but that is who is more likely to be traumatized by, yes. by yes. events. So I have some folks coming on the podcast in a few weeks who talk about ACEs, the adverse childhood experiences that the study that Kaiser Permanente put out. And it's essentially, they ask 10 questions 
And the questions are, <clears throat> did you grow up in poverty? Was someone incarcerated in your home? Was there a death in your family? Was someone addicted to drugs? Was there mental health? You know, basic stuff that would be a burden in your childhood. Yeah. What they have correlatively, but, you know, scientifically connected is negative outcomes in adulthood that are driven by those experiences. So if you oh, have, God, yes. if you have four ACEs, adverse childhood experiences, which many, you know, many, many people for yeah. an incarcerated parent who died addict in the home, living in poverty, right? That's yeah. The, lots and lots of people. And we're going to have to add COVID to that. You know, COVID is going to be an ACE number. Yeah. Then what we're, what we're looking at is people who are more likely to be obese, people who are more likely to, to be underemployed, people, they're connected, they're correlated. Yeah. And what I know is that people who have had those childhood experiences are more likely to have the kind of compound trauma that we just talked about, which is unprocessed, right. Cause who's, who is sitting with the eight-year-olds whose mother just died when they can't keep the lights on and saying, yeah. how do you feel? Let's go do some no. play therapy. There's no, there's no room for that happening. when you're just trying to survive. No. And I think that, I think we sometimes have the wrong conversation. Like we find the one kid who did fine oh, or who did great. And we're like, oh, it's okay. Like, you no, can no get, and yeah. we're like, teach us your wisdom. Yeah. No, Instead yeah. of saying like, oh, well, you're a freaking unicorn. You yes. go, your, go be your unicorn way. Let's talk to the 85 who are not unicorns Absolutely. and our resources there. But what, but the conversation on resilience, like how, how are you so resilient under these terrible circumstances and how can you teach us to be resilient to me? Feels I like get I'm so really, aggravated by it. It's a really bad talk show. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You guys are talking it's to a, the wrong people. What? It's a story that America is obsessed with. Like yeah. the, the one that made it. Yeah. It's it, yeah. It, it makes me crazy though. It makes me absolutely crazy. Yeah. Would you like to share with our community where your grief and loss has taken you recently? Because everybody, we Americans really like a happy, a happy story. But, <laughs> I, but I have to say, you know, as someone who didn't know you, but was felt like I know you, you know, you were very open about your journey in, in trying to pursue pregnancy in a way that I think also, you know, was like a public surface, the number of women that I know myself included who had miscarriages, who just assumed that that was not something that we were supposed to share that had all these complicated feelings like failure and all that, you know, it's a relief when other women are willing to talk about it. There's an, there's the fertility concept on top yeah. of that, which is, you know, a whole, the whole other host of feelings that people find when they want to pursue pregnancy and their bodies are not cooperating. There's that. And then yes. there's the, Oh my God, what do you do when you thought you were pregnant and your body did not allow that to continue to be true. And you've got all these people that are invested. In <laughs> you know, I felt really grateful to, to hear, you know, someone just being willing to talk about the truth and letting people mourn with you and be invested with you. But there is another piece of that chapter. So. <laughs> there is, there is. Yeah. I mean, it has, it has been a journey, but like, I, I have known since I was a child that I am meant to be a mom. Yeah. I definitely questioned that when we had our loss, because by the time we had our loss, we'd already been in the process for two years. Yeah. You know, my husband was in his forties. I'm in my late thirties. We we're like, what's, what's the plan here? We actually hadn't made a backup plan because we really believed our yeah. primary plan was going to work out. And then it yeah. just, 
it just didn't. And we were devastated. And then I actually ended up with a lot of physical health issues from trying to get pregnant and then trying to figure out what was needed to get my hormones back on track. So I spent months in and out of doctor's offices dealing with all sorts of side effects and challenging, you know, like headaches and, you know, not sleeping. There was anxiety. There was unexplained bleeding a moment when they thought I might have uterine cancer. Like it was, it was horrible and eventually still arrived at the place of, you know, we are meant to be parents. So we have to try something else. You know, my husband put his foot down pretty quickly around not doing IVF again. He felt like the consequences were just way too much for me physically and psychologically. So, you know, thankfully I agreed with him. Uh, it took, it took a little while for me to get to a place where I agreed with him, but he was very clear, very fast that that was not what we were going to do. And so we actually started an adoption process in the midst of the pandemic while I was working on this book and while he was working on the front lines of the pandemic. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, So it it was moving pretty slow. I'll be honest, largely because of us and our other commitments, but by this past summer, so summer of 2021, we were starting to hear things and, and, you know, feeling, feeling somewhat optimistic about our parenthood journey for the first time in a number Mm -hmm. of years. And then we got a call one day in August that, a baby boy had been born and they didn't want to get our hopes up about it. So they didn't tell us about the situation ahead of time. And this birth mom wanted us to parent this child that she had just given birth to. And we said yes. And in less than 24 hours, we became parents to a baby boy. He's now almost six months old and he's amazing. So I finished, I finished my book with a newborn and all the exhaustion and stress and craziness that comes with it. I seriously don't know how I continued to write, but I still had, I was rewriting my entire first draft. So I still had half the book to go when he showed up and yeah, somehow it got done and it comes out on April 12th. So much love. Yeah. I mean, I said this to you off mic. It was like the ugly Oprah cry. I was in bed. I hadn't checked Instagram (laughs) in a bunch of days. And I was like, oh my God, my husband came out and he was like, what's going on? How do I tell you that like someone I don't actually know, (laughs) but I did. Finally got their baby. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, it just there, I think, I think one of the things that's true in, it doesn't have to just be in grief and loss, but I sort of also feel like if we're talking about real feelings, we're always talking about grief and loss, but there, when people are willing to let you into that, it, you know, you either say, no, I don't want to be a part of that. Or you go all the way in and you're, you know, deeply connected. And so it just, you know, it felt like, it felt like something really extraordinary. I said to you, it felt like a surprise party where you were like, surprise, because it wasn't as though you were just figuring this out. You, you know, there are things with adoptions where you have to keep things quiet until you're sure. No, we were done, done when I shared. So it's just, so people should also go and follow you on Instagram because yes, please we'll learn about the book and I'll put all that in the show notes. I want to just ask before I let you go, you know, in your process of, coming to terms with feelings. You know, we talk about that a lot. Like I had to feel my feelings and I have this totally lovely person who follows my stuff and will write to me. He, 
you know, Megan, what does that mean? Feel your feelings. And so, you know, what I, what I say is it means something different to everybody. Everybody does their feelings in different ways. And so for some people that, you know, a lot of people talk about yoga and I think that's because yoga helps bring people's energy back into their bodies when they have kind of disassociated, but I'm curious for you, like, was the writing a, a grief related practice for you is, you know, do you have a, do you have a, a church faith base that has been part yeah. of it for you? Do you and your husband do it together? Do you have a best friend? Like when I say grieving is it's an action item, it's a verb. How yeah. would you say, this is how I do that? Yeah. So I try to use all of the tools in my toolkit. But the thing that I, and I'll share what those are, but the thing that helped me the most, ironically, was being forced to just be alone a lot Mm -hmm. in 2020 and even into 2021. 100%. You know, like, like the solitude, the silence at a certain point, you run out of trashy things to watch on Netflix and you're left with okay, I know I don't feel quite right. Like what, what am I feeling? So, so for me, it was just having lots of time to be quiet and intentional and just listen and pay attention to my body and to my feelings. And I am very much a physical griever and and like my, my feelings show up in my body in lots of ways, good and bad, not having an appetite. I mean, I, I weighed probably 25, 30 pounds less than I do right now when my mom died, which still to me is mind boggling. I start to get like more physically anxious and have a hard time sleeping. I will sometimes get like the headache if I'm not paying attention to these feelings and just letting them build, you know, the tension in the neck and shoulders, like all of those things. So like, I know when I haven't been paying attention to my feelings and when I need to. And I just feel like because we were all stuck at home, like I had more time to be with them and to be honest about them. And that was huge. But my toolkit is combination of writing and not the writing of the book or writing articles for Vogue, but just like my journal writing every day, like that, that practice is critical. I'm a big meditation person. I can't meditate for very long because I don't have that amount of patience yet, but I do do it and it does work. I'm also a big exercise person. You know, we got a Peloton as a part of our Allie love for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, this was my like sympathy pregnancy loss gift. Yeah. Um, and I also started doing like solo dance parties during COVID because I just felt like I needed to yeah. get out of my head and more into my body. And yeah. I am, I don't talk about it very often, but I am a deeply religious person, like yeah. church most Sundays and that like having that sense of faith, which, you know, I'll be honest, like I, I wear a cross every day. Like I definitely took it off after my pregnancy loss. Cause I was I mad at God and yeah. I get mad at God a lot. And I think that's totally normal, but yeah, I am, I am a deeply religious person and mm-hmm. that has helped, but really it was, it was time and that solitude and silence and just really being honest about what I was feeling. And there were so many feelings. Like once I paid attention, there was a lot there and it ended up ultimately being really helpful for this book. Yeah. I feel that so much. You know, I, I came out of inpatient 
and then was back to work for like two months and then the world shut down. And I really was just, I was recovering from the trauma of my grief, but yeah. I was still becoming a person who is a griever, a primary yeah. griever. And that's how I think about it. I know everybody has different metaphors and they're all amazing. And the one that I think of is that I am growing a new part of myself, like a new part of yeah, my- It's a transformative process. Much like new motherhood is though, which yes. is like, you know, yes. you become a mother and then you're never not a mother again. And yes. you become a griever, yes. you're never not a griever again. And and what so is many it? parallels. Yeah, people, it, there really is, I think, especially the like lack of sleep, but also it's a <laughs> yeah. contact sport. And so, you know, the way in which you love your brand new baby and it both excites you and terrifies you. And yeah. that, re- you know, that resonates in your body and also 100%. spiritual element to it. It mimics very much to me what it feels like to grieve. Where I completely agree. Right? And so I use that a lot when people are like, are you better? And I'm like, you know, so grieving for me is like becoming a mom. I'm never going to be better. It is what I am now. Yes. And there are times where it's harder, you know, like totally. it's hard to parent a teenager, but maybe not a two-year-old or vice versa <laughs> and who you are. And I think, I think what you're describing, which is sort of like, how did I get through my anxious twenties? I ran a lot. I'm 47 now. Yeah. I don't run anymore. Yes. So that doesn't mean that I, you know, I'm not really as much of a runner anymore. It doesn't mean that I don't value those things. It doesn't mean that it wasn't yeah. a useful tool. It's that we continue to change over time. And what I really love for, for people who are listening to the podcast and to just sort of remind folks is like, we have to decide who we are as parents. You can read a lot of books. You can talk to other people, but it is about you. Yeah. You know, my best friend who's been my best friend since I was 11, she, I will call her and be like, I got to ask you about something. I, I need to like chew on something with you. And she'll be like, okay, I don't have a lot of time. Who else have you already talked to? And what did they <laughs> because basically what she's reflecting back to me is I'm looking for my own answer, not somebody yes. else's answer. So yes. she doesn't want to waste time giving me <laughs> to someone. And I feel like that is also true with grief, that part of what we, part of the hope is that there isn't one way that when yeah, there isn't lists of things to do and lists of things to say, that's very helpful guidance in the same way that saying like, I don't know, the prosperity Bible, like read this and believe this. And then your life yeah. will be good. like, that's a nice idea, but I don't yeah, think no. how that works. No. Instead being able to say to people like grief is a natural process. Yes. Thing that we do, it's a full body, full contact, full body experience. That and doesn't your, stop. And your, and your body is wired to do it. It's just gonna, you're gonna have to figure it out. Yeah. You can figure it out. Yep. You might fall in some holes. And that's okay. That's also normal. Yeah. But those of us that I think talk about it, I, you know, I think most of us would say, I don't regret learning how to grieve. I don't regret grieving my mom. If I could no. have my mother back or my That'd be great. Back, yeah. <laughs> like, Look, nobody is saying that I wouldn't take that over all. I would, you know, sell my soul. But the transformation of who I was to who I am, I don't want to go backwards. No, it is. It has ultimately been positive. You know, like I know that losing my mom has made me a kinder, more compassionate, more patient, better person. And, and I'm with you, like the grief, the grieving process for me, like it, it doesn't end. It's not, it's not a process. It is just 
your life and who you are. You know, that's why I define grief as the repeated experience of learning to live amidst a life-changing loss. Because as your kids continue to grow, as, as Bennett continues to grow, like there are going to be these milestones or questions or things that come up where all you're going to want to do is be able to call your mom and like, see what she thinks. And, and same thing for me. So it's as, as your life continues to evolve and change, you're going to continue to have moments of grief, whether you want them or not. Mm. Thank you so much for Absolutely. the conversation. You are, I think the busiest woman I know and, <laughs> and these, these months right now, you're leading up to that crazy time. I know, you know, cause you have friends that have written books where it just becomes like a traveling circus. It is all consuming, on. girl. but I, I mean, I can't wait. I have pre-ordered multiple copies of my book. I am, I'm really, really grateful for your voice out there in the world. And I have scheduled tonight my own solo dance party. I don't know if you know Leslie Grace Streeter who wrote Black Widow, but she- I've heard, I know about, of, yeah. She's so amazing. And she and I talk a lot about music and like, what's the grief music we're listening to now? So oh, I love that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a little you know, dance party maybe because whatever's going on with my dad needs some- energy. You got to get it out. Get out yeah. yeah. Just like get it out there, get it around. But I, you know, sleepless nights are in your future <laughs> for a while, but congratulations to your you. family and welcome to Bennett. And this has just been a real delight. You're so gracious to give. Thank me your- you. I'm so glad this worked out you so know, much. Morning. Take care. Thank you Yay. so much. I really appreciate I will, it. I will be in touch for sure. Okay. Thanks for us. Right. Bye-bye. Bye.